Well, good morning again. Welcome to those who are with us here in person, those who may be joining with us online. We have the joy and privilege to gather, to sing, to pray, and to hear the Word. These are good things for us. They're good for our souls, and we get to enjoy them together this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bible to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, and turn to the second to last chapter of that last book of the Bible, chapter 21. We're going to consider the rest of chapter 21, verses 9 through 27, as we get a a more elaborate or a more uh, closely uh, fine-tuned look at what God brings about in restoration at the return of the King. The restoration of His people in His place, dwelling with Him under His rule. It's a glorious picture, and I hope it brings us timely encouragement in our day, a day that's filled with all sorts of less-than-glorious things, hard things, heavy things, challenging things. So we get to take a few moments this morning to look at the final things and hopefully be encouraged. So let's read through Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. At a great high wall with twelve gates and at at the gates Twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were the twelve pearls, and each of the gates made a single pearl. And the, city of the, the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. As we consider such an overwhelming picture 
of what your restoration will bring at the return of King Jesus. God, I pray that you would bring to us timely encouragement in our lives now, that as we look toward that day, we would have strength in this day. So be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this, your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I love exploring cities. The sights and sounds, the art and architecture, the food, the fun, the old, the new, mingled together, the commotion and bustle, we love all of it, every part of it, the inconvenient, the fun, all of it. Some, maybe in here because you chose to live in New Hampshire, avoid cities because there are too many people. And with too many people comes traffic and crime and corruption and so forth. But God loves cities. He loves small towns. And he loves all the places in between. But it's important to note that God does love the city. He uses the picture of a city to show us what it will be like for the redeemed and the restored people of God. A perfect, glorious city where the sights and sound, the art and architecture, the food and the fun, the commotion and the bustle will be radiantly awesome. We have a city before us in our text today. So let's go explore this city together this morning. And as we explore it, what God has conveyed to us, we are going to see a glorious future. And because of this glorious future, the church can live faithfully now. We can live faithfully now as we look forward to that day. Because the future of the church is three things that we find in our passage. The future of the church is full. It is full. It is full in its life, and it's full of life. It is full. Secondly, we're going to find that the future of the church is holy. Now, God will remove all all the stains, all the fractures, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the actualities of sin. And then thirdly, we will find that the church, the future of the church is glory. It's full, it's holy, and it's glory. That's the future. And as we look at that future, my hope is it's encouragement and strength in the now. So we're going we're gonna to toggle that line together. The future is full. The future is full, and it is full of all of God's people. The future of the church is full of all of God's people. In this passage, we're getting a remarkable description of the condition of God's people, redeemed and restored. This is a wonderful picture, an encouraging picture. We find, first of all, we find them restored. Come and see John is taken away in the spirit, verses 9 and 10. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is a distinct vision, graciously brought by the spirit and leads to a more detailed look at the redeemed people of God. And they are called, first of all, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's a designation that shows God's great affection and joy that He has for His redeemed and restored people. 
to be called the bride of the Lamb, to be called the wife of the Lamb. That is a a significant, affectionate, and joyous designation. And this scene is like in a wedding ceremony in which everyone soaks in the beautiful bride walking down the aisle. Here we find God rejoicing in the beautiful, redeemed, restored bride coming down from heaven. God is the one rejoicing. God has great joy in your rescued, redeemed, restored life. No matter how you might feel about it, no matter what that story might be for you, how much heartache and hurt, how much anguish and struggle, or how you might view yourself with an incredibly low esteem, think so little of you that that no one will care for you, especially God. I want you to hear the words of, of the Bible here. Inspired by the Spirit, God saying of you, His rescued, redeemed, restored people, you are beautiful to Him. He has great joy in you. And one day that joy will be full and you'll get to see it. Don't lose sight of such a wonderful, gracious picture. This is God's view of His people. We also see that John is taken to a great high mountain. Another important designation. A great high mountain throughout the Bible. And when we were in our Exodus series, we were centered around a great high mountain as the people of God were formed. And here we are now again at another great high mountain when the people of God are fully restored. It's a special place where God and man dwell together and meet. But there is some an important distinction in the Old Testament that the people of God could not touch that mountain, that the presence of God was so otherly and overwhelming and unsettling. It was awesome, it was bewildering, but don't touch that mountain. But here in Revelation, this mountain is a scene of of joyful welcome. You see where the rescuing Redeeming, restoring work of King Jesus leads us to the joyful welcome of God to his great high mountain. And then we find that the restored people of God, they're called the holy city of Jerusalem. A city represents dwelling where God and man dwell together where all, with all the amenities that come with a city. Everything you could ever need is there. And it is a holy city. That is, no more sin remains, and we'll consider that a little more fully here in a moment. But look at the picture of the restored and redeemed people of God. It's a joyful celebration. It's also a glorious one. Look again at verse 11. This redeemed and restored people of God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. Having the glory of God, possessing these, the people of God possessing something it did not have on its own that was graciously provided for by God. And it's radiating it out. There's a radiance, meaning that the redeemed and restored people of God now reflect the glory of God. They get to be brought into the glory of God, and now they're reflecting the glory of God out in this new creation that King Jesus will establish. 
Thirdly, we find that all of God's people, this full picture, are not only welcomed in and restored gloriously, but they are welcomed and restored gloriously and with great security. Look at the first part of verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, angel, 12 angels. Walls and gates and angels. A city in the ancient days or in John's day required walls and gates for protection and security. Not that there's any threat right now in the new creation. We spent a couple of chapters in 19 and 20 seeing how King Jesus vanquished all the threats. But just so that we get this visual reinforced into our heads and to our hearts, there's, there's the, the symbolism of walls and gates and angels on those. It's great protection and security. It shows us that what God has provided for in the, the redeemed people of God is safe forever. It is the restored, gloriously secure people of God. That's their condition. But also note the scope. All of God's people from all of time will be with God. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament people of God are represented. Look at the rest of 12 into verse 14. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, the north, three gates, the south, three gates, the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The gates have the Old Testament people of God represented. The foundation has the New Testament people of God represented. The people of God from all of time and all places will be there. Not only that, we find then a very important symbolic cube about this city that represents all of God's people from all of time. Look again at verses 15 and 17 through 17. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So all the numbers that are designated there are representing fullness, completeness, totality. And then the dimensions of it are all representing the scope of what God has accomplished in redeeming a people to himself. This 12 by 12 by 12 visual conveys the complete and full and total work of God, bringing about the full, final, and forever redemption of all of God's people from all of time complete and perfect in all dimensions and directions. This city houses all of God's people. What do we do trying to soak that in? How do we soak that in? Well, one of the ways in which we can soak that in, besides just rejoicing over the picture, is that we can have confidence in our lives now. That right now, in our lives no matter the shakiness of the church's status in its broad culture, 
no matter the shakiness of, uh, and the weakness and the wobbliness of our faith, when we look and see where God's faithfulness leads, it brings to us a confidence in the now. A confidence that means none will be lost. None will be forgotten. None of God's people, anywhere, at any time, will be lost, misplaced, forgotten, wrecked so badly that can't be fully restored. You hear that? All of God's people everywhere from all time. The church will indeed be maligned and marginalized. You can't read Revelation and not understand that that is its day. The church will be maligned and marginalized. The world will disregard and distract. And it can feel like the church is under constant storm clouds or gray overcast days in this world. Yet no matter the struggle in a life is hard, evil is real world, God will not forget or lose track of his people. And we, personally, we may feel easily forgotten. We may feel insignificant. We may feel like a nobody in a sea of nobodies. We may know personally what it feels like to be isolated, alone, rejected, mocked, and marginalized. Yet, God has not misplaced you or forgotten you. And He will not fail to bring you home to this glorious city. The ultimate destination that we see here pictured in Revelation 21 is to give us confidence in what God is doing now in the church, but also in our own lives. He will not fail. He will not come up short. Not only that, it gives us great confidence to know that more and more And more people from all over this world and in our own neighborhoods, our own communities in the Nashville region, more and more and more people will be redeemed and restored. There will be more that will be part of this new city. And we have the privilege to be a little gospel radiating outpost in a spiritually desolate world. So don't miss the confidence that you have in your own faith to follow after God. But but also, don't miss the confidence that we have as a church to be a little beacon of light in a dark and hard world. A little outpost of the gospel in a world so desolate, spiritually speaking. Trinity can be the people that call out to the empty, to the lost, to the broken, to the hurting, to the calloused. Come and see the grace, and the glory of God. We can do this through seeing the gospel become the most important thing to us, shaping the content and the character of our church. The future of the church is full, and because of that, we can have confidence now. Secondly, from our passage, we find that the future of the church is holy. The future of the church is holy. That is, no more sin. 
No more sin broadly. No more sin specifically and personally. No more. The thought of that, we can't imagine. You do not have the capabilities, the imagination, to to think up and dream up of what a perfect blade of grass will look like. You can't. Try. Spend the rest of your day trying to figure it out. You can't. You have no concept of it. All of our faculties have been broken by sin. We can't even imagine perfect. It's not a cornfield with a baseball stadium in the middle of it. It's close. It's close. Oh, the future is holy. There's no more sin. Remarkable description of the church. We see a city of pure gold. Look at verses 18 through 21. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent last. Certainly hope to have a redeemed mount that can speak weird words the same way every time, but, I, but until then, I'll say it differently. <laughs> In 21.11, what we read earlier, we, we saw that the city radiated God's glory like a rare jewel. And then in these verses 18 through 21, we get to look at that a little bit more closely. Rather than to try to pull out some aspect about each incredible feature of each individual jewel, I want us just simply to take the scope of it in at once. And when you do that, you realize that there is no imperfection of any kind anywhere in this city. Not one. It's radiating out the glory of God in perfection. The redeemed people of God will know the full, final, and forever removal of all sin. What a future. What a staggeringly amazing and overwhelming future. The removal of all sin. Last week, we considered how the penalty of sin has been paid and the power of sin has been broken. But the future is one where the presence of sin is forever removed. In the Old Testament, the high priest was adorned with these special jewels, these special and precious jewels. He was outfitted in a way that symbolized the holiness and glory of God. Now, the whole city is described in this way. It is a picture of the beauty and the splendor of the presence of God with his redeemed, restored and made holy people. To drive this even more home, look at verse 22. We find that there is now no more temple. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The temple represented God's presence among his people, but also the need for atonement of God's people to be among his presence. It signified a great divide between a holy God and sinful people. The temple was the 
the picture of how God was bridging that divide. It ultimately was a picture of how God would bridge that divide through the person and work of Christ, the Lamb who was slain. But now in the new heavens and the new earth, in this new city that God establishes, there's no temple anywhere needed. There's no reminder needed of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. God has eliminated it all by means of His grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The temple was a daily reminder of the presence of sin, but also the grace of God. Now there's no more temple. Now the full, final, forever outcome of the grace of God is the lack of a temple. So sure, so full, so final, so forever is the work of Christ for us. The saving work of Jesus in his first advent means there is no daily reminder of sin at his second. Our future is that of holiness, of no more sin. And when we think about that future and we we come back into our nows, it gives us courage, courage to fight sin now. As we see the outcome of God's grace at the return of Christ, the removal of all sin, it gives us courage to fight sin now. And that encouragement shows up in two ways. First, encouragement to know that the sin you struggle with in this life won't be forever. For those of you who are trusting in Christ for salvation, those who are in Christ right now, in this very moment, you struggle with sin You struggle against the the encroaching suffocation of shame. You have regret that clouds your view and your judgment. You feel the gnawing, nagging pain of sin regularly. And your future and the encouragement of that future is that that it will not mark all of your days. There will be a day in which that will be no more. There is a time stamp set to your struggle. There's encouragement from that because we can grow weary from struggling, struggling with wandering hearts. We can feel shame and regret and longing in this life. We can wonder aloud even if God will ever do anything to help us in our struggle with the presence of sin. We can even want to give up and just live comfortably in the values of this world. Yet there is a day when that struggle will be no more. So it shows up as encouragement to know that this will not be what marks our lives for eternity. Second way that it shows up as an encouragement to us is that it encourages us to keep fighting, even in the weariness of this battle. We have all we need in Christ to fight sin, pursue righteousness, and reflect more and more and more of Christ in our lives now. We are not called to live on a, on a cruise boat until glory. We're not called to live on cruise control because we have grace. We are called to live with great purpose fighting against the sin and its presence in our lives. Christ paid the penalty. Christ breaks the power. Christ will remove the presence of sin. Your means of fight is found in Christ. Know Him, love Him, follow Him. You have all you need in Him.
Our future is full. We have confidence now. Our future is holy. We have courage to fight now. And the future is glory. The future is glory. Where we are beholding and reflecting God's glory. The place, the future is the place in which we are restored to our original purpose. Let's look again at verses 23 through 27. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is, it, is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This, of course, is another link between Genesis and Revelation, that of our purpose. We are created in the image of God to reflect His glory in this world. Mankind was created to behold the glory of God and reflect it on earth and how we lived. Sin marred that image and destroyed that purpose. Instead, we have lived for our glory, and we've traded the glory of God for the trinkets of this world. Yet as the Bible unfolds and as the history of God's purposes are revealed progressively through its pages, God in His grace and mercy purposed and promised to rescue, redeem, and restore us to that glory, to that purpose, to that meaning. The classic catechism question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Revelation 21 is the picture of what that will entail. God's promise, not only as incredible as it is to bring about the full restoration of all of God's people gloriously and into holiness, but it was to extend to the ends of the earth, to go out to all the nations. Another link to Genesis. The gospel message that we have is the fulfillment of that promise. And the finality is on display in glory. We read there in chapter 21, verses 23 through 27, that the nations, that is the redeemed people of God from all places, from all peoples, come and behold and reflect the glory of God. The nations, the great diversity of peoples on this earth will be among this city. That gives me great encouragement. Glory isn't going to be a generic place. It will have beautifully redeemed distinctions running throughout it. And no one culture now determines what that new city will be like. Thank goodness. Distinctions will be beautiful and will be on display, bringing glory to God. We also find here in this picture of glory that we will have security to enjoy it forever. If we are designed to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and if we're redeemed to actually glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we will surely glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The gates won't close. 
because the night won't come. Safe and secure to live and be with the gates open and the doors unlocked. No more threats of any kind. Not within, not without. As we think about that future, a future of glory, it brings comfort in belonging to God now. It brings comfort now. Comfort that what we belong to is greater than what we could pursue in this world. Comfort to not chase after some other purpose for life. We don't have to live under spiritual anxiety over the meaning of life. Glorify God. Enjoy Him forever, even now. God made you, redeemed you for this purpose. And one day you will fully, finally, and forever be restored to live that out perfectly. But live in light of it now. The beauty and the splendor of God, the glory of what God has for his people can be tasted and seen now. You can taste it now. To know that you belong to him brings peace to anxious hearts. And a life is hard, evil is real world. Yes, the world will offer you a bevy of alternatives. Many of them will be very compelling. The world will take something good and turn it into an ultimate and say you will find your purpose and meaning here. It will compel you. But it will also frustrate you. It will let you down. It will fail you. It will frustrate you through this life and it will fail you at death. So don't waste your time living for yourself or the approval of this world. The destination that we have informs the journey. So live now with the end in view. This is another teaser. In a few weeks we'll begin Ecclesiastes, which exactly tackles that. Live now in light of the end. And you will enjoy now far more than if you lived for it. Here we have a glorious end. Live in light of it. The future of the church is full, holy, and glory. This brings us confidence, courage, and comfort. Now. Right now. So let us not lose sight of that city Let us not lose sight of the destination of the full, final, forever glory of God enjoyed in His presence. So let us together live in light of the city to come to His glory and our good. Let's pray. God, we ask that You would indeed help us see the goodness and grace and power of Your purposes ultimately fulfilled the return of Christ who has established for us a salvation that will know no end. God, I pray indeed now as we look at our lives individually, specifically, personally, as we look at our lives as a church in our culture and community, that we would indeed now have confidence and courage and comfort to live in light of our destination. God, may we do that in such a way that is so compelling and beautiful 
that you are glorified and others who are lost and hurting, who are asking this world to give what it cannot provide, would see something, hear something, experience something different, that they would come ultimately to experience life in Christ and joy with Him forever. May we, Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, in 2022 and beyond, may we be an outpost, an outpost of your grace, a beacon of your gospel in this world. And may others come and know and see and wonder with great joy alongside us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. am on. Think about the words as you use them to glorify God.